Welcome to Dare to Dwell, a podcast with the Daughters of St. Paul. We're so glad you're here. This season, we are gathering around the mics to share about the love of God poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You can find out more about our work on social media at Daughter St. Paul. Enjoy today's episode. Hi, welcome to Dare to Dwell, a podcast of the Daughters of St. Paul. My name is Sister Oriane Pietro Rene. I'm Sister Julie Marie Benedicta. And today we are going to be delving into our Supreme Director. Yes, the Holy Spirit. Whatever that Supreme means. Director. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're going to break that open because it's funny. It sounds almost like an academic title. Mm-hmm. It does kind of. But it is not. Yeah. So for anyone who's just joining us right now, um, we are working our way through the inspiration or the uh, of the chapters of the Sanctifier, which is written by Archbishop Martinez. Um, it's this is not a book study. We're not going to be reading the chapters out loud, but we are really pulling out some of the themes to help us understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives better, to deepen our own relationship with this kind of often forgotten person of the Trinity, and also to help us be able to pray better, to really be able to lean on him in our prayer. So in chapter three of The Sanctifier, which is entitled Our Supreme Director, Archbishop Martinez introduces some really interesting concepts. It does. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard for me to pull out um, what he's saying without first clarifying a certain term that he uses that you will see in a lot of traditional prayers, especially in the English language, he talks a lot about possession, mm-hmm. being possessed by mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. And while that is in no way wrong or an incorrect use of the term, it's not how we generally use the term now. Now, if we were to say someone is possessed and don't finish the sentence, you automatically <laughs> assume something kind of disturbing. You start imagining horror movies. Right. Yeah. But that's because actually, we never finish the sentence, mm-hmm. right? And I think for me too, I often bring kind of a cultural baggage to the word possession. Sure. Where I'm thinking if something, if, if the word possession is being applied to me as a human, that there's some kind of inherent objectification right. happening because we yeah. possess objects. Yes. Right? Yeah. But. But not so. No. With God. Nope. Yeah, I think it's really good to to clarify that language. And uh, it, we're on chapter three right now, but in chapter four, he'll talk about how possession is actually part of love. Mm-hmm. It is proper to love that that when we love someone, we want them for ourselves and we want them to have us. And so so it is it is proper to speak about possession in love, not in the not in the sense of of ownership, but in the own in the sense of having. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think to just to kind of nuance it in terms that we would use more today, it's a difference between the objectification of having that we often think of in how mm-hmm. we speak now, as opposed to belonging. Yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can say that, you know, a pencil belongs to me, mm-hmm. but when we're talking about the belonging of our person, like where we belong, who we belong to, those are, those are essential to our own identity, they our are. own fulfillment. Um, and our, our own living to the full, living to abundance, as as Jesus said that he came for. So when we're talking about the Holy Spirit possessing us, so to speak, like we're talking about finding our belonging in him and him finding belonging in us. I think mm-hmm. it's it's so beautiful to me to look at the Old Testament, even before Jesus ever came, even before like the the Jewish people really had an understanding of the Holy Spirit being a person of the Trinity, right? Yeah. That God doesn't just say, you are mine, which he does. Mm -hmm. He says, I am your God, Mm -hmm. right? We belong to him Mm -hmm. and he belongs to us. Yeah. And it's like this beautiful pointedness that this is not a story of you know, our objectification to, you know, slavery to some, you know, <laughs> right over overlord or whatever. This is a love story. Mm-hmm. This is a story of father to son, of parent to child, of bridegroom to bride. This is a story of belonging and yes. kinship. Yes. And I love um, in this chapter twice, Martinez refers to the Holy Spirit as soul of our soul and life of our life. Yes. And I just, I think, 
there's just something really beautiful about that phrase mm-hmm. and the, about those, especially pairing those together. But then also for me, somehow it kind of um, it calls to mind what Adam said when he first saw Eve. Yeah. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Mm-hmm. And just like what a beautiful I don't know, for me, that that connotation like just gives it this extra richness, soul of my soul and life of my life. Like that really is the relationship that we're intended to have with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Like being at the core mm-hmm. of, of your being. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's that mutual belonging, that mutual possession, yes. that mutual having that is free on both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah. it's that freedom that we're really trying to, to, get, to get at. Right. Yeah. With the nuance of this. Yeah. Exactly. And I think understanding that is what helps us to understand, if we're talking about the Holy Spirit as our supreme director. <laughs> mm-hmm. That this is that kind of director, right? Again, not that removed, you go here and you go here and you take stage left and you go, like, it's not this kind of pushing around, mm-hmm. even though sometimes it can kind of feel that way. Like, sometimes we feel like the Holy Spirit's elbowing us yep. <laughs> to get something done Yep, because that is what someone who really loves us might do is kind of poke at us if we're not paying attention. Um, but he never forces us to do anything. And it's always out of a sense of, that love and and that that relationship that really he is inviting us into. Yeah, and I love this idea of him as our supreme director too. Like when I think of supreme, I don't know there there could be an element of like a totalitarian sort of. Like I think of overlord. like supreme leader Snoke from Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> see, like yeah. That, there could be that kind of a. But but I don't know for some reason in my mind I went to like su- like pizza supreme like oh. where, where it's like all the toppings, all of the things, like <laughs> anything that could be there is. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's helpful or not. Maybe that's weird, but. No, but like, that's true. When mm-hmm. we're talking about food, that is <laughs> that is how we use it, right? The best of the best. Yeah, yeah. Like when we yeah. talk about a person, sometimes when we, when we use the word supreme, it's almost like, okay, over everything. And, right. and kind of like, like when we think about a person, supreme takes on one particular connotation. But when we, when we kind of back up and just think about what we mean when something is, when we say something supreme, mm-hmm. it's like beautiful it's like almost like the, there's like a sublime or like a there's something else to it besides just this over everything kind of oppressive feeling mm-hmm. and and when it comes to the holy spirit it's more about that and i think i think when we think about the holy spirit as as a person who is within us directing us like when we think back to the last two chapters really he's been making it very clear that the whole goal of the holy spirit is to produce Jesus in us, mm-hmm. right? The whole goal of the Holy Spirit is to make us like Jesus, to make us in the image of the Father. Mm-hmm. So it's like, in order for that to happen, the Holy Spirit has to be working. It's not, I love, he he kind of gives the image of like, he's not just a guest that like shows up and just kind of hangs out. Right. Like he gets to work immediately. Yeah. And in as much as, like he he works wherever we give him room to work. Mm-hmm. So wh- wherever we tell him he's allowed to go, he goes, <laughs> and and he he begins to to do whatever needs to be done in order to reproduce Jesus in us. And I think one of the things that I love about the language that Martinez uses is he's very clear that the Holy Spirit doesn't like come in with a, you know, a sledgehammer or, um, you know, ready to just kind of like bulldoze everything within us. He comes in tenderly and lovingly, mm-hmm. and he compares him. To he compares the Holy Spirit to like a mother who teaches with kisses and tenderness, and I just thought that was so sweet. Like, like it's true. Like the way that sometimes, especially very small, like younger than toddler children, Mm -hmm. learn a thing. It's really through that positive reinforcement, right? And the Holy Spirit knows that that works with us, and Mm -hmm. so that's how He is. And um, and yes, like Jesus does say that the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin, but he also comes to lead us into truth right? and to remind us of everything that the Father wants us to know. And so it's like that side of it is beautiful and tender and loving. And I just, I love that image so much. Yeah. I was kind of thinking back to, I've never had this experience personally. I've seen it with some of my friends. When, when someone has just had a child, mm-hmm. especially if it's their first one, right? Mm-hmm. And often, if if the the couple doesn't have like a lot of immediate family or friends around to help and support them and to to stay in the house, it's really overwhelming. Like historically mm-hmm. speaking, you would have a child and the whole village would be there to help you. That's not how we live in the West right now. 
So it is a very overwhelming experience and it can be very isolating and everything around you starts to fall apart. Your house becomes a wreck. You become a wreck. And you're just like hoping to God that you're doing the best for your baby and that nothing's wrong. And you have no idea how to tell something is wrong or if this yeah. is normal. And sometimes in the midst, midst of that chaos, one of the moms, like the mom of the, the wife or the mom of the husband, comes over to help, right? Mm -hmm. And in that moment, there is a huge both relief and vulnerability at the same yes. time of I'm opening the door. I'm so grateful you're here. I need so much help. I don't want you to come in and see what a wreck mm -hmm. my life is right now. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to come in and take off your coat and put on that apron and go do the dishes that have been sitting in the sink for three days. Right. I don't want you to see that. No, because I want you to be a guest and I want to take care of you and I want to pamper you. But you're here to take care of me. And that's that's a really vulnerable place to be. Right. Yeah. Or I was hoping you would come over and take care of me in these ways. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But but don't. No, not those ways. Don't look at those ways. Don't. I can. I've got it together. <laughs> I can do that part. Oh, wait. No, I can't. But I don't want you to do it anyway. Pay no attention to what's behind door number three. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for for us so often, whether it is the moment we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, if we've been baptized at, a, at an age where we're conscious of it, or just whenever we become conscious of it, there is often this real balance and tension between the sense of relief and awe when we realize that there is someone who loves us even more than we can fathom love being within us and knowing that we are not alone and that we are part of a relationship that we've been longing for our whole life, even if we couldn't put words on it. And then at the same time, but don't look there, like, mm -hmm. or don't change what I'm comfortable with or don't. So I really love that he's pulling all of these elements out of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, because it's true that the Holy Spirit teaches us very tenderly. And at the same time, like a mother-in-law, like a mother, like the mom of a toddler, is going to be doing things that kind of make us chafe. Yeah. And both are the result of the same type of love. Yes. Touching us in different ways on different vulnerabilities we have. So when we kind of start to feel like, I don't know, like we've got our back up about something that that we either are praying about or that has been challenged to us from the pulpit or that we find in church teaching that we're just like, but that's not comfortable. That doesn't let me live the way I want to live or like whatever. Those can really be moments where we can step back and say, okay, Holy Spirit, I know you're here. I know you're real. Is this me chafing because you went to the sink to start tackling the dishes I left there for three days? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Or is this something else? Like, we can ask him that because he is living inside of us and he hears us. Mm -hmm. He knows. Yeah. You're kind of touching on something I wasn't sure if I was going to bring up or not, but um, in part because it's just kind of a vulnerable vulnerable place. Sure. But the, the line in the sanctifier where Martinez says, the perfection of a soul is measured by its docility to the movement of the spirit. By the promptness and fidelity with which its strings produce the divine notes of the song of love. And this is in reference to um, you pulled out, Sister Oriane, in the intro episode. You talked about that that quote where he he talked about the the wind blowing over the strings of the lyre. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and when it's tuned to the Holy Spirit, it plays it plays a melody that yes. that really is beautiful and in in tune with the heart of God. But this idea of that um, when the the perfection of the soul is measured by its docility. To the movement of the spirit by its promptness and fidelity. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know. For me, that feels like an examination of conscience. Like, yeah. how docile am I to the spirit? How prompt am I mm -hmm. to respond to his inspirations? How faithful am I to doing the, the kinds of things that he seems to be inviting me to do? And when I think of docility, I also kind of think of uh, when I think of docility, there's like this element, too, of. Um, what we might call like abandonment or what we might mm -hmm. call like, I don't know, there's there's a I feel like there's a fine line sometimes between docility and consent to what God is doing mm -hmm. and just kind of resignation. 
Sure. Or just kind of, which which I feel like resignation can come with like a lot of anger. It can come with a lot of maybe apathy, like chosen apathy. Mm-hmm. Or, okay, well, if God's not going to answer my prayer the way that I wanted him to answer my prayer, or if he's going to... If he's going to ask me to do things that put me way outside my comfort zone or whatever, well, then maybe I just decide I don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. Or maybe maybe I just decide to stop praying in the same way. Or maybe maybe I just kind of decide, okay, well, I'm just going to start doing the bare minimum for God because it seems like he's just doing the bare minimum for me. And And I think in some ways, for me, this invitation to docility, to trust, I think trust is is kind of the key. Mm-hmm. To, to docility. That's the word I kind of was looking for earlier. When I think of docility, I really think of the word trust, actually, like yeah. that or the idea of trust, like the feeling of, of trusting. And if, if I can't trust, for me, those places where my trust gets really tested, those are the places that become really the greatest threat or obstacle to faith. Right. Or the most fertile ground, right? It can be. It can yeah, be. Yeah, depending yeah. on how I respond to it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think I think if I'm honest, I think more frequently it has become an obstacle to faith mm-hmm. for me in mm-hmm. my life. This invitation to docility, to um, allowing the spirit to do what he needed to do and to trust that that was the right thing or the good thing or for these prayers over here that were so fervent or so trusting or so hopeful to go completely unanswered or seemingly so. Mm -hmm. To me, I feel like those are the moments when I kind of just want to look at God and say, you know what? Forget you, man. Right. (laughs) It's a a real temptation. Like, I know you can, Mm -hmm. and yet you don't. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And I think like how many of us can say that we've had either a moment like that in our lives or many, or maybe we're in the midst of one right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's really interesting because we are not Adam and Eve. We were not there at the beginning. We we never experienced life unfallen, right? Mm-hmm. And I I often, in the Chronicles of Narnia, I'm a nerd, guys. I love C.S. Lewis. And you know how, <laughs> you know how when the the Pevensies make it into Narnia, they're constantly referred to as the sons of Adam yeah. and the daughters of Eve. Yeah. And that is something that ever since I was a child, I would pray with because it really did remind me that these are my first parents. So yes, that does mean I have inherited their original sin, but it also means I've inherited other things from them. Mm-hmm. And that includes God's invitation to them. That's why Jesus yes. came to redeem everyone, right? We inherited that same invitation of of union with him and the fact that their really their first temptation was against trust Mm -hmm. was trusting in their own assessment of a situation or 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 like power to control something or whatever rather than god's in the promise of someone other than god Mm -hmm. and in the will or the goodness of an option that God had told them was not good. And that's for two people who were not fallen at the time. Right. Right. Yeah. When they were tempted with that and who walked with God in the garden. Mm-hmm. Right. So in a sense, it's comforting to know that this is a temptation as old as time. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That we're not alone in this. But also it's a huge comfort to me to know that when I am struggling with that, and when I choose the wrong option, or when I'm sitting on the fence for so long, it's basically a choice anyway. Yes. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. That God responds with the same mercy mm-hmm. that he granted to Adam and Eve. And I think it's so easy for us to be like, what mercy? They got kicked out of the garden. Like, mm-hmm. But that's actually not really what happened. Like, I mean, yes, they were expelled yes. from the garden. But God made sure that they did not eat from the tree of life mm-hmm. in a state of sin. And, and stay that way for all eternity. Exactly. And yeah. stay that way for all eternity. And ultimately, his mercy to Adam and Eve is the person of Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. That was what was promised to them. Yeah. That The minute that that happened, he's like, yeah, and I'm going to send a savior, just mm-hmm. so you know. Mm-hmm. Like, you might not guess that from what I'm saying right now, but I really need you to hear these words because this is a promise to you and everyone who will come from you and, and y'all. That's you and me. Yeah. Okay? So. Whenever we have those moments, and again, maybe depending on our personality, our life experience, 
They may be only a few large moments. They may be a hundred, a plethora of little moments or of large moments. Yes. And it's okay that we face those things. Everyone has faced them. And if we mess up, and God knows that we will, we have been promised a Savior. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit not only convicts us if we've chosen wrong, he's like, which means that he makes us aware that we've chosen wrong, he makes us aware in order to bring the Savior into that space. Right? That's what he does. He brings us to Jesus and he forms Jesus in us in that space to redeem it. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it it seems like God is making some kind of a bad decision. <laughs> um, you know, like like I every once in a while when I'm when I'm praying with some of the healings of the gospels, I will get a little bit cranky with mm. Jesus. Cause like I see, for example, for example, I see the the leper who comes to Jesus and says, if you will, you can make me clean. Mm-hmm. And Jesus' response to him is almost flippant, like, oh, if I will, if I want to, if I can, like, <laughs> of course I can be made clean. That's and, never quite how I envisioned that guy. Oh, really? That's how I read it every time. <laughs> and, and to me, sometimes it's like, okay, well, Jesus, if you can, here's my illness over here. Here's my struggle. Here's my right. thing mm-hmm. that I really need you to touch and fix and make clean. And for some reason, you don't, but like you could. And mm-hmm. it seems like you just kind of turn around and go the other way and don't care. Right. And the thing is, and, and then the other part, too, is like, then then Jesus says, ask and you shall receive and seek and you will find and knock and the door will be open to you. And it's like, OK, well, how many times have I asked? Right. And, and you start to wonder, how are these two things compatible? And where are you? Yeah. And the, and mm-hmm. the more that I pray with it, the more that I kind of like maybe bring that movement in my heart to God, because I definitely don't hide it from him. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> <laughs> he's very aware of it. The more that I realize, like, there has to be, there's this mysterious place that exists between ask, seek, knock, and you will you will find, you will mm-hmm. receive, mm-hmm. and take up your cross and follow me. Yeah. And Jesus in the garden saying, thy will be done. It's a super uncomfortable, not fun place to be. And I was kind of praying with that a little bit recently. And I came across in um, in Father Jacques Philippe's book, uh, In the School of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And he there's a whole section. Almost every book that he writes has a section on abandonment or docility yeah. or trust. Or basically he says kind of the same things over and over again in different ways because he's a good teacher and a oh, good father. And he knows great. that that's what we need. Yeah. <laughs> but Highly recommend his stuff. Yes. Um, but he says... Two things. The first, he says, um, this is from In the School of the Holy Spirit, page 33. He says, many things happen that God does not will, but he still permits them in his wisdom, and they remain a stumbling block or scandal to our minds. God asks us to do all we can do to eliminate evil. But despite our efforts, there is always a whole set of circumstances which we can do nothing about, which are not necessarily willed by God, but nevertheless are permitted by him and which God invites us to consent to trustingly and peacefully, even if they make us suffer and cause us problems. We're not being asked to consent to evil, but to consent to the mysterious wisdom of God who permits evil. Our consent is not a compromise with evil, but the expression of our trust that God is stronger than evil. This is a form of obedience that is painful, but very fruitful. It means that after we've done everything in our power, we are invited, faced with what is still imposed on our will by events, to practice an attitude of abandonment and filial trust toward our Heavenly Father in the faith that, for those who love God, everything works together for good. And this is what Jesus accepted in the garden. Mm -hmm. This is the model that we're supposed to be following. And this is what the Holy Spirit is trying to cultivate in our hearts when these stretching, awkward, difficult things come up. Yeah. I, okay, I have always found, this is going to sound a little weird, but when we have Holy Week, Mm -hmm. my favorite day of Holy Week is Holy Thursday. Okay. And it is not because the other days aren't just as or more important, (laughs) but it's because for me, Christ in the garden is, that is the moment where he decides. Mm. Right. 
I mean, not that he hadn't decided before, but mm-hmm. but that is the moment where at least we see him decide. And truly, when he is faced with a point where this is, it's now or never, turn away now or never, right? Mm-hmm. And when we look back at Genesis, um, when when the serpent was in the garden and talking to Eve, and Adam was standing around, if, if we look at the text, he <laughs> was there, he just wasn't saying anything. The word for serpent that is in Hebrew, Hebrew is nahash. And this is not, it, we're not talking about a garter snake, right? No. This is like a creepy, scary, large mm-hmm. monster thingy. Mm-hmm. And it has certainly been posited that the reason Adam remained silent was because he was terrified out of his mind yeah. by this thing. And mm-hmm. that he may indeed have been afraid of being taken down. Absolutely. Or he was afraid of Eve being taken down, who knows, and possibly been afraid of death, mm-hmm. right? Pain, suffering, death, loss. That is what Jesus faced. And those are the things that for all of us, that testing ground of, you know, can I accept how whether or not these things are compatible? I can't see it. They're always places of pain, suffering, loss, or death. They yes. are never not one of those things. Right. The fact that Jesus was facing all of those things and experiencing all of those things, both for himself and for others, and he didn't back off and he fought mm-hmm. where Adam failed to fight. He yeah. fought for his bride where Adam failed to fight for his bride. And to know that because of that moment where he succeeded, where Adam had failed and all all the rest came out of it, right? He offered himself as an offering through the Holy Spirit on the cross. When the Holy Spirit comes into us and begins, poco a poco, (laughs) (laughs) to form Jesus Christ in us, Mm -hmm. we have within us the bridegroom who fought slash fights is Mm -hmm. fighting for us where Adam failed, where we are failing to fight for ourselves, where we are failing to fight for others. Others are failing to fight for us. We've all experienced every single one of those options. Yes. Or all at once. Mm Jesus is fighting for us. Mm-hmm. And we know that from the garden and every other moment after that, right? And to know that because of the Holy Spirit, that's not like some distant historical thing that happened once. It like literally, um, Martinez talks about like the divine cycle that like everything mm-hmm. in Jesus' life is cyclical. Like it happens in you over and over and over yes. and over again because that's his life. That's mm-hmm. that's him. Mm-hmm. And that is happening in you. So like when we are in those spaces of like, I have no idea what's going on here. This is not okay. This is not compatible. I was not made for this. No, we weren't made to die. No. We weren't made to die. That's why we feel the injustice of it. We should feel the injustice of it. But that is also why Jesus came. Yes. Right? And that's why he comes and is coming and is in you fighting for you. So in those moments, like, yeah, we can't necessarily understand what's going on in a given moment, but we can trust that, like, okay, Jesus, if you were so, so stressed out that you were literally sweating blood, which is a scientific thing that happens if you are, like, mm-hmm. like you're going to have a stroke stressed out. Mm-hmm. That's how stressed out Jesus was. And I don't say that flippantly. Like, that is how stressed out and terrified physically mm-hmm. he was. Yes. If he went through all of that for you and told Peter to put his sword away when he chopped a <laughs> poor guy's ear off and said, no, this has, this has to happen mm-hmm. because I'm fighting for you. You're not mm-hmm. fighting for me. I'm fighting for you. Yeah. He says that in you, like I'm fighting for you. Yeah. I love that you pull that out about the agony in the garden, just like how intense it was for him. Mm-hmm. Jesus made the decision many times. Yes. Which, which I think for me, every time I see a new one, or it's not new, but like every time I come to recognize one for the Mm -hmm. first time in the Gospels. I'm always so moved by it. Like I remember the first time I ever uh, really read the story of the raising of Lazarus. Mm. And when Thomas makes his comment about, well, let's go to Jerusalem to die with him, you know? like (laughs) Yeah, little did he know. Like the intentionality with which Jesus was walking into that reality, he was going to battle for Lazarus. Mm-hmm. And he did it knowing that it was going to precipitate his death. Yeah. And he didn't shy away from it. He didn't say, well, go have him bring his body here. Right. He didn't, you know, like the 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 little girl that he healed from a distance just because the centurion had faith and said, I'm not worthy to receive you under my roof. Like, no, he's 
he could have just said from wherever he was, Lazarus, come out. And his word would have been effective from wherever he was. But he went to battle for Lazarus and he went to battle for all of the people who came to believe in him because they saw what he did for Lazarus. You know, and, and a little bit to to the point that I was making before, like both Martha and Mary come to him and say, Lord, if you had been here, yeah. Lord, if you had been here. And to, to me, that's almost kind of the same prayer as like when I get angry because the leper can say, if you can, you can make me clean. You right. Know? And if you had been here, if you had been here. And there's there's a, a trust there, but there's also like a pain yeah. in that kind of a statement. And how many times do we look back at something, whether it was big or whether it was like legitimately like something that induced real medical trauma on us, right? Yeah. And say, where were you? Yeah. Where were you? Yeah. And, and to know that like he was there yeah. and he waited because he loved them. Mm-hmm. And... That's such a mystery. Yeah. Like he heard about it. And then the gospel says, because he loved them, he waited for two days right. to get off his hiney. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and the really human part of me just like gets angry with him for that. Yeah. You know, but there was something. The thing is, too, he waited for two days, but then he finds out that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four. So yes. it's not like it's not like he heard about it. And then just let Lazarus die. So, right. but he does let it go a little longer than is comfortable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but then he makes the decision to go to battle for Lazarus and knowing that he's going to give his life for this. And then again, like I love the way that St. Augustine talks about the Last Supper mm-hmm. when Jesus, for the first time, institutes the Eucharist. In order for him to do that, it had to have been a done deal. That the crucifixion was going to happen. Yes. You know, Augustine talks about him taking himself into his hands. Right. And at that moment, it is a done deal. Mm -hmm. He knows what's coming and he has already submitted to it. Right. Because the sacrifice has to be there. Mm -hmm. And and the cup of the covenant has to be there. That fourth cup, right? Yeah. Yeah. So just like over and over and over again, Jesus is making the decision to do the thing that is going to literally kill him. Like... It's going to cause him every kind of physical agony, emotional agony, mental agony, Mm -hmm. spiritual agony, Mm -hmm. every kind. And he is choosing it over and over and over again. And that's the invitation in our lives too, right? And that's what the Holy Spirit kind of empowers us to. Mm -hmm. I'm not being called to do what Jesus did. Sometimes my crosses are so small that they could be, they're a little bit embarrassing, like how, <laughs> how much it affects me, right? Yes, like sure. it can, it can, when you really start to put it into context, like this thing that I'm getting really upset about or right. that I'm just really angry about or <laughs> I'm, I'm, I really want to go to battle against this injustice. And then if I step back and I really look at it in context, okay, well, compared to Jesus's cross, this is like a splinter, but, <laughs> but it's still real and yes. it's still a part of the cross mm-hmm. and it is still something that I'm being invited to say yes to sometimes again and again and again no it's true and i think you know just as just as jesus was able to offer himself on the cross and we see at the mass at the epiclesis this, the the priest with with his ordination right calls down who the holy spirit the holy spirit mm-hmm. and the holy spirit is what makes present the mm-hmm. sacrifice right and and christ mm-hmm. risen mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. likewise when we talk about, you know, uniting ourselves to Christ on the cross or uniting our sufferings with Christ's sufferings on the cross, as St. Paul tells us to do in the Bible, like we can only do that. That is only possible because that same Holy Spirit who lived in Christ mm-hmm. lives in us, mm-hmm. right? Because we've been gifted him through baptism. And that is the reason we can not only unite our sufferings to Christ, but know that when we unite them to Christ, not only is that a moment actually of of intimacy, right, of sharing of that experience with him, but also it's redemptive. He can work redemption yeah. out of that because we've united it to his sufferings, which are redemptive. Yes. And that is why often as Catholics, we say like, you know, that expression, offer it up. <laughs> yeah. When we are suffering, truly, and not to not to like brush past this as though it's like a catchphrase, we can offer up our sufferings for an intention for someone else yes. too, because we're uniting it to Christ's sufferings, which are offered for humanity. So 
if I know someone who is really struggling, I'm worried about someone, there's an issue that I've been praying about forever, and I'm going through a suffering, whether it's little or large, just because it's awful and I don't want to go through it doesn't mean I cannot unite it to the cross. Mm -hmm. Allow that to become a place of intimacy where I get to know Jesus better and allow you know, him to show me his love in a brand new way. But also, because I'm uniting it to his cross and his sufferings on the cross, that can therefore become truly an avenue of grace for somebody else. And yes. how, like, how mind-blowing is that? How many times do I, like, look at a situation or look at a person that I'm worried about and be like, oh, my gosh, I wish I could do something, but there's not a stinking flipping thing that I can do. Yeah. And actually, there is. But only... Because of him. Exactly. And and that's true because we are baptized into the body of Christ. Right. We are one body. Yeah. And I think that side of theology maybe gets misused in certain ways. Sure. And so then it kind of falls out of favor in mm -hmm. other ways. But like this is the key to mediation. Like we are the body of Christ. Yeah. Like when Jesus appeared to Paul, he didn't say, why are you persecuting my followers? Yes. <laughs> he said, why are you persecuting me? And this union, this 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 being part of the body of Christ is real. Yep. And maybe it's not always tangible. Mm -hmm. Like it's not always something that we can feel or touch or like be in touch with. Mm -hmm. But it is real. And that that spiritual reality and again, like whether it's a little splinter of a cross that we're offering up or really something crushing. Right. It doesn't. It's all part of it. Mm -hmm. It's all part of the treasure of what we have to offer the church and what God can turn into something absolutely beautiful for eternity. Because that's the other thing about that passage from Romans, uh, Romans 8, 28, where it uh, where Paul says that um, we know that in everything God works for good for those who love him, for those who are called to his purpose, right? So God works good, everything, into good for those who love him. So like these sufferings that we're experiencing, these uh, this part of my heart that I'm begging Jesus to heal that for some reason he doesn't, whatever it is, God's working that to good in my life. I think one of the things that we might fall into is like that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to see the good this side of eternity. Mm -hmm. And and I think sometimes, too, like we get kind of wrapped up in that and we forget just kind of how long eternity is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, as long. Like, have you ever have you ever been with a kid and like they're really waiting for something to happen, whether it's like we're going to go to Disneyland next week and you got to watch the number, the days like get crossed off the calendar. Oh, time goes so or, slow. Yeah. Or even just like dad's going to be home when the big hand is on the six. You know, like it's just <laughs> kind of like that kind of thing where you yeah. have to like continually help the kid to like mark the time mm -hmm. and understand how to be patient and how to like even comprehend that concept. Yeah. I think we get like that sometimes where like we're looking for the thing to happen in this life. And sometimes it's because this life can feel very long. It can feel very burdensome when these things are going on. And that is real. But sometimes it's also because we forget that eternity is eternity. Mm -hmm. Like, for one, we just can't, we actually cannot comprehend what eternity is. And so like, so hearing, well, it's going to be better in heaven or like this, we'll see the fruit of this thing in heaven. We'll see how it helped other people mm -hmm. in heaven. Sometimes maybe it's a little bit of a lack of faith on my part mm -hmm. that that's not good enough. <laughs> right, right. It can feel that way. Yeah. And then other times I think it's just like a lack of comprehension that I don't understand actually how good that is or for how long that good is. Right. Or like how even talking about how long is is inaccurate when it comes to eternity, right? Because it's mm -hmm. outside of time. It's just like that will just be the reality is the good and so so sometimes I think we can get wrapped up in that passage that all think God will work all things for good, thinking, okay, but it's gotta happen this year, or it's gotta be the next thing that happens. You know, mm -hmm. like the next the next turn in the story is gonna right. be is gonna be the good thing. And and it's not always that way because we don't get to see the whole picture mm -hmm. yet. I can't so I don't know what movie or show or what this is from. But for a while, it was an audio going around on TikTok and Instagram where this actress whose name I forget, but she's also in Downton Abbey, is talking to Ricky Gervais, 
who I'm assuming is a character and not Ricky Gervais, but I could be wrong. And she says something to the effect of that the goodness of a society is measured when old men plant trees, the shade of which they will never know, Mm. specifically for the good of those to come. Mm -hmm. Right? Like when we plant trees, they're little and they're scraggly and they don't do anything. They don't bear fruit. They don't give shade. They literally don't do anything. And you're going to labor the rest of your years to make sure that it just survives. And you're never going to see it grow to Mm -hmm. to do anything productive. But Mm -hmm. why do you do it? Because you have faith that, in fact, it will do good for someone you may never have met yet. And that that matters. Mm -hmm. Or for a real life example that we may be more familiar with, or at least I should say I'm more familiar with. (laughs) In my area where where I'm from in Canada, it's very common for people for summer jobs to go out into the bush and do tree planting, Mm -hmm. Um, especially when they're students. It's like a really common summer job. And why do they do that? Mm -hmm. Because they believe that in the future, this will not only do good to the environment and to the landscape that has been logged or reduced by fire or whatever, but specifically that it will potentially save the lives of people because of what it does to the soil, what it allows for food production, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And if we can have faith in that, that thing that is vulnerable to another fire, more Mm -hmm. logging, right? Mm -hmm. We have faith that that matters. Because we can see it. Because we can see it, or at least we can see what it could be. Or we can see the fruit of those who've done that before we got there. Right. And we're Mm -hmm. like, oh, there, 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 therefore this, 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 right? And we care enough about the future, at least hypothetically, Mm -hmm. to feel that it's worth it. How much more then can we look back at the lives of people who have lived through scripture, through history, the saints Mm -hmm. of the church, and say, oh my gosh, this, this, this. God did this. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I'm the next tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I won't see it. Mm-hmm. But can I trust that what he did in all of those lives before me, those hundreds and thousands and thousands and thousands of lives, he can also do for mine? Yeah. And I think some of the most powerful saint stories that I know are the ones where you kind of are led to tears because they trusted to yes. the bitter end and they didn't see the fruit of what they did, but I see it. Yes. And I'm like, yo, bro, can you see? I mean, obviously they can see it, they're canonized, but like, yeah. but you're kind of like, man, do you see? You have this like natural impetus urge inside to ask, do you see what yeah. you did? Like, yeah. look at all the fruit of what you did that you died before you ever saw. And it's easier for me to, to look at that than to ask it of myself. Mm-hmm. Like, can I see what God might be doing here? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And- I think typically we can't like right. Okay, we can't so even imagine it for ourselves. You th- you think you're being a nerd for talking about C.S. Lewis and looking at the Chronicles of Narnia? <laughs> I'm suddenly um, imagining the scene from The Great Divorce. Oh yeah, when um you know there's I, it's been a long time since I've read it, so I'll probably get some details wrong. But so the protagonist sees this ma- this beautiful woman walking around, and she's surrounded by all these children, right? And they're just like dancing around her, and she's just <laughs> like, and she's got like um. I don't know, in my memory, I don't remember if it's in the book this way, but in my memory, she's like crowned with flowers and she's wearing this beautiful gown. And 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 so the main character kind of I don't remember if he thinks that she's like the blessed mother or like Mm -hmm. what what exactly it is. But like he basically is kind of like, who's that? Like she must be like a (laughs) heavenly celebrity or something. Right. (laughs) And and it turns out that, no, she's just someone who offered a lot, you know, someone who was a spiritual mother in such a way that this is her reward, that somebody else on the outside might think, oh, my goodness, it's the Blessed Mother. No, this is just this is just Jane from down the street yep. who was faithful mm-hmm. to what God invited her to and ended up with this spiritual maternity that bore so much fruit that it's like stunning right. with heavenly vision, with the beatific vision. And there's no way she could have known that in life. Right, yeah. And I think that, when we say like, oh, we'll know in heaven, that really can feel like, oh, you're just trying to placate me. <laughs> like, it can feel dismissive. Yeah, right. for sure. Mm-hmm. It really can. But when we're talking about we'll know in heaven, we're talking about the kind of knowing that God has. We're not mm-hmm. talking about like, oh, all the all the boxes will be filled in and the be ticked off or like ticked off, <laughs> checked off. <laughs> and that's not what we're talking about. We're, we mean like 
no, really, you'll know, like mm-hmm. you will know at the core yeah. of your being what God was doing and how he was being faithful to you mm-hmm. at that moment and why it made you the person you were meant to be. Yeah. Soul of our soul and life of our life. So good. Yeah, I guess um, one last thought that I'm having that this idea of soul of our soul and life of our life and how that calls for me, Adam and Eve, mm. that the Holy Spirit as our supreme director really kind of is a life partner. Yeah. Not not exactly a spouse, but something something very close, mm-hmm. really very much a life partner, um, somebody that we can learn to move in tandem with mm-hmm. and and who really is trying to guide us to our ultimate destiny, who is making us fruitful, who makes our lives like dynamic and powerful and meaningful yeah. and enriches it, enriches our lives in a way that we really can't even comprehend mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And and I think like in some ways there's some some of the things that we've said could sound a little bit like a cop out. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, when you're dead, it'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you just have enough faith, then you'll know that when you're dead, it'll be okay. Yeah. And you know what? I don't know how to prove that it's not a cop out mm. except to say that there have been moments when God has shown his fidelity to me in a way that I can't deny. I think I had a really important um, experience in my own vocational journey where, you know, um, I've I've spoken before on this podcast about how I'm a convert and uh, one side of my family is not, is not Christian. Like they come from another religion. And um, at one point in my own vocational journey, I really was struggling with the question of like, why me? Like, Mm -hmm. why, why did I get the gift of knowing who you are when like, why couldn't you have just shown up? Like for my ancestors, like you did with Paul, <laughs> like because I know be you handy. can. That would be really handy. And at some point, this this one particular saint, her name was Saint Rafka, her baptismal name was Pietra, and that's why Pietra is one of my profession names. Started kind of showing up in my life randomly, and I was really uncomfortable with it because I was a little bit freaked out by part of her story. And also, I realized that uh, at one point in in the history of Lebanon, there was a one of many civil wars. <laughs> and in this particular civil war, um, the people who were my ancestors were fighting the people who were her, not even her ancestors, like she literally lived through this war. And one of the really important moments in her story that is told over and over and over again, including at her canonization, is a moment where she actually hid a, a boy who was being chased by these soldiers who were my ancestors. And she hid the boy under her skirt um, when she was a nun to save his life. And she was literally, they don't use the word trauma, but what they describe is what we would now call a trauma mm-hmm. um, that she always kind of carried with her through the rest of her life um, from that experience of watching people be slaughtered around her. And for me, knowing that those were my ancestors doing the slaughtering mm-hmm. and that she saved that boyfriend was a really difficult thing for me to grapple with um, because there were, that was a very personal c- connection. But the more she kept showing up in my life, the more Jesus made it clear to me that as he invites us in in these moments where it is the most radical and the most counterintuitive, we pray for those who persecute us. And I began to realize that it was because of her prayers for those who literally persecuted her and killed some of her people, right? Mm -hmm. That I kind of got to the place where I am, that I could meet Jesus, receive him, and and convert, right? Like have a conversion. And to really be able to see how that happened, that grace was applied over and over and over in the generations of a family until it kind of like hit, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it was not effectively at work before right. that moment of conversion. And when I'm able to see that, that was not, this did not happen to like, what, 200 years after she lived? Mm-hmm. But she saw it happen. She did see it happen. It's not like she w- she died and was like, oh, this is what you were doing. She died. She learned, sure, what God is doing. But she, I'm putting this on a timeline of our time, right? Like she watched it unfold. Yeah. Right? And yeah. continued to participate in that prayer. That's, that's why saints intercede for us. 
And it's so beautiful for me to know that our work is not done. We don't go to heaven and we're like, ah, it's all done. Nothing matters. It's all like we go to heaven. We are united with the one who loves us the most. We love the most we were ever capable of. Yep. Even more because it's his capacity. And we continue in him. Mm-hmm. Right. We continue that mission in him mm-hmm. until the world is fully redeemed. Yeah. And like, guys, guys, <laughs> I don't know. Like, am I the only one who thinks that's really, really cool and like comforting and exciting even? Like, I mean, I don't really want to die, but but like to know that that's that is what is awaiting me. Yeah. It's hard to not want that. I'm not saying I want death, but like it's hard yeah. to not want that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it just it reminds me of the quote of um, Blessed James Alberione, too, who talked about he he would always say, like, from heaven, I'm going to help you with this. Right. I'm going to continue to pray for people who who use the media like he was excited for that. Yes. It was almost like he he knew, like, from heaven, I can do even more guys. Right. And I Mm -hmm. think like that is the thing that we have the hardest time understanding. Mm -hmm. But when when. Yeah. So Blessed James Alberini, like from heaven, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. St. Therese is Mm -hmm. a more common example that people know about, like from heaven, I'm going to whatever, let fall a shower of roses. Like Mm -hmm. she meant it. And it wasn't like this resigned, oh, I guess I'm going to die when I'm 24. So well, well then from heaven, I guess. Like Mm -hmm. it was no, like from heaven, I'm going to do this amazing thing I couldn't do here. Yep. Like, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Mm -hmm. So good. Yep. I feel like, okay, if you have a different challenge, jump right in. I feel like at the end of this conversation, I'm really left with a hopeful kind of challenge that I feel called to myself. And I hope that everyone listening kind of feels something reverberating within them for this too. I feel challenged to pick a suffering that I haven't actually (laughs) offered yet Mm. that I'm more resigned to Mm -hmm. as opposed to actively docile with or actively offering it. Consenting to. Right. and, Mm -hmm. and, And uniting it to Christ on the cross. I feel challenged to pick that one thing to actively offer it to Christ and to let him entrust work redemption through that. I love that. And so I'm going to steal yours and maybe just add a layer to it. Yeah. That moment at mass when the priest asks the Holy Spirit to come upon the gifts Mm -hmm. so that they can become Jesus. Part of the spirituality of the layperson praying the mass is that we can also offer ourselves together with the offering on the altar that the priest is offering, right? So right. so whatever that thing is, maybe maybe the concrete recommendation, um, if you have a, a better way of doing this for yourself, great, but a concrete <laughs> recommendation might be show up to mass a few minutes early mm. and ask the Holy Spirit to show you what is this thing that I'm kind of resigned to that maybe I could graduate to a consent to. <laughs> And at that moment of the Mass, place it on the altar there for the Holy Spirit to come down upon mm-hmm. together with the gifts of the Eucharist and just kind of invite the Lord to, to really to sanctify it. Regardless, whatever it is, whatever it is, you can, you can in your heart, just like in, in your mind's eye, just like place it up there on the altar, ask the Holy Spirit to come upon it and do that as many times as it takes and mm-hmm. as many Masses as it yeah. takes until you can really honestly say, okay, Jesus, that's yours. Use it for whatever purpose you come, you, you need to use it for. And then when you're done, you can find a new one. <laughs> because there will always be more. Yep. Yeah. So we're going to leave you with that challenge and we're going to close by praying our chaplet. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For the gift of wisdom. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with wisdom, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with wisdom, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with wisdom, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come and make your home in my heart. For the gift of knowledge. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with knowledge, 
and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with knowledge, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with knowledge, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come and make your home in my heart. For the gift of counsel. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with counsel, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with counsel, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with counsel, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, Come and make your home in my heart. For the gift of fear of the Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with fear of the Lord, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with fear of the Lord, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with fear of the Lord, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come and make your home in my heart. For the gift of understanding. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with understanding, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with understanding, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with understanding, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come and make your home in my heart. For the gift of piety. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with piety, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with piety, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with piety, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created and you will renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come and make your home in my heart. And for the gift of fortitude. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with fortitude, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with fortitude, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with fortitude, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come and make your home in my heart. By myself, I can do nothing, but with God I can do all things. For the love of God I want to do all things. To him honor and glory, to me the eternal reward. Holy Spirit, vivify me. 
love of God, consume me. The way of truth, lead me. With your grace, empower me. You are the promised one sent by the Father, reminding us of all that Jesus' Master taught. I ask you for no other knowledge, no other wisdom, than that of Christ crucified, and that he may live in me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Dare to Dwell is a production of the Daughters of St. Paul, and is brought to you by our generous supporters on Patreon. For more information about our sisters or ministry, or to learn about how you can support us, visit connect.pauline.org Patreon. God bless you.